Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Good day, good night. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Joining me, as always, Mark Daly. Mark, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, and we're only a couple of days away from the next Grand Prix. So that means I'm in an extra good mood this evening. It's the short week. It's one of those short week in Formula One where we turn around from Bahrain, not even midweek. Well, we are midweek right now. And boom, China in just like 36 hours. Yeah, that's right. Uh, free practice gets underway. And I was just thinking before we went to air here this evening that can you imagine what it's going to be like in July? We have the, the World <laughs> Cup going uh, June 14th, July 15th. And then isn't July, isn't there like four weekends in a row from basically one Grand Prix to another to another? I don't know how anybody is going to be able to make it through that month. Uh, it, it's going to be amazing. Don't get me wrong. I'm looking forward to it. But the, <laughs> it's definitely going to be action-packed viewing for, for everybody that loves oh. soccer, everybody who loves Formula One. Uh, it's a good thing I'm engaged already. Because uh, my couple could <laughs> I can see where you're going with this. That <laughs> could have been a danger this summer, but now it is going to be a very, very busy summer. Uh, but speaking of summer and busy, Sebastian Vettel wins his second Grand Prix in a row in 2018. This time in Bahrain, winning outright. Yes, there was a grid penalty for Lewis Hamilton, but outside of that, Hamilton uh, Vettel got the pole got the win and yeah yeah amazing right i mean if you come into the season right now say you kind of spaced on the start of the 2018 formula one season and you just went and surfed to, to the, the the standings to see who's leading the world drivers championship and you saw sebastian vettel with 50 points ahead of lewis hamilton you might think, wow, Ferrari's doing really good. And, well, I mean, of course they have. I mean, to, to win a Grand Prix <laughs> is a feat. But it really doesn't reflect the the balance, I think, of the, uh, the, the first two races of the season. Obviously, Vettel got very, very, very lucky in Australia two weeks ago, winning after overtaking uh, Hamilton. Oh, we lost Mark for a second. I think his mic got unplugged. Mark, I thought and what we can start uh, discussing this at some point a little bit more detail. But I thought with uh, obviously Vettel hanging on for dear life at the end there, taking those uh, soft tires way longer than was intended, that he was just a sitting duck for Valtteri Bottas. And I would have thought he would have been a little bit more aggressive in those final couple of laps. But it wasn't so much that he wasn't close enough to Vettel to make the pass, which... Uh, 
I, I think that was a little bit disappointing for myself and, and anybody who was cheering for Valtteri to see that action. I mean, I, I mean, Vettel did very good to defend him off, but it was so much that he didn't really have the track position. He didn't really line himself up into those couple of corners where he could really make an overtaking pass. And I think it was an opportunity that slipped through their fingers to, well, let, let's be honest, Mercedes made the right call. They decided to switch the medium compound tires and they proved to be the faster ones. Bottas ran out of track. He would have needed a few laps more, maybe. Uh, but I think there's something about the way those cars are, again, designed to be either up front, but when you're coming up on the on the car in front of you, the aerodynamics are throwing everything out of whack because you don't have any air to, to give you downforce, which that's what the aero kits do nowadays. Is they give the air reflecting off the car just many different directions to make sure it gives the most amount of downforce possible on the cars. We even see the extra finger, which is hard to see, but in the back of the diffuser Ferrari, there's one of those fingers. You see those like four diffusers we, that we've seen on each side already many times. Uh, here, I'm going to put up the picture here quickly, so I'm oh, never mind. It's going to be too long. And it's, but you see one of those fingers go from the side, then it goes back up, and it goes up really to just catch that small little wave of air coming over and give more downforce everything is generated to, to generate downforce every single thing is designed to generate downforce on the aero side so when you get behind another car that cut through air in front of you you don't have as much downforce so you can't do that, that that small little move to finish the passing move without putting yourself in danger and i think that's where botas wanted to maybe keep it safe like okay i'm second Hamilton's going to be third. Uh, that's a lot of points for the Constructors' Championship. And Kimi's gone already because uh, an accident in the pit we're going to talk about later. So maybe I do not risk myself getting off the track and breaking my car by trying to do the one risky move on Sebastian. Yeah, that's, a, that's one way to look at it. I think that uh, he should have been a little bit more aggressive, uh, especially when you think that he is in his option year at uh, Mercedes and... As we've uh, talked about many times in the past, that uh, you're not just only expected to win races, you're expected to, to fight for championships if you're a Mercedes driver. And I think with Sebastian there, as, as I said, as a sitting deck, and I thought the, the race radio at the end of the race was just absolutely classic. When you hear Sebastian Vettel, the first words out of his mouth were literally, I think it was, he said, these tires are done. <laughs> <laughs> and they 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 were. So it's, it, I really was fascinated to watch the, uh, the whole pit stop strategy. I think that uh, Ferrari, uh, you know, they reacted first, went in and they uh, <clears throat> they opted for the soft tires which I thought were going to be a little bit faster, but then Mercedes proved uh, by switching and, and, and choosing the, uh, the the medium compound tires, they were actually the right one. And then it was really fascinating to see how it was going to work because you could just tell that with uh, Mercedes going with the hardest uh, option or the the hardest compound tires to go with uh, for, the, for the rest of the race, that they were not going to come back in unless there was some issue with one of those cars. So that really put Ferrari under a lot of pressure. So, I mean, obviously, they were going to have to pit that those cars again. And we saw that with Kimi Raikkonen. Unfortunately, Kimi had that incident in the pit lane that he, uh, he was released again way too early. And that left rear tire did not even come off, the, <laughs> off of the car before the car no. was released. 
I mean, uh, I, I mean, was it even like a Haas situation where <laughs> they got the tires on, but the car was already going speeding down the pit lane? But unfortunately, they didn't get a chance to get the tire off, and then that same tire yep. hit the mechanic really, really hard. Like, like oof, ouch, that's gotta hurt. And we now know that it's a broken leg. <laughs> the mechanic yeah, suffered well, a broken leg. Don't watch that in uh, in super slow mo. I can tell you that uh, you can actually see that poor fellow's leg bend about ninety degrees as he uh, as he goes to the ground. But I mean, you can't blame Kimi Raikkonen well, for that. Because he when, he when doesn't you're decide in, anything. It's all automatic. Somebody tells him to yeah. go, you go. But now, how many races in a row? Like it happened more than once last time. Twice with the Haas, and it cost him the races. Uh, we see this happen with Ferrari, and we've seen other instances of other say unsafe release over the last two weeks. Is there something new in the system that I'm not aware of? Is there new gimmicks, new widgets? Because back then it was really easy. There was a big guy with a jack that was raising the car, and then yeah. whenever the car was ready, okay, I'm putting. Maybe our our ideas of wanting to do the most perfect pit stops in under two seconds. Maybe it's stupid. Maybe we should take care of the safety of the mechanics and maybe try to do it in three instead. I don't know. Well, I, I think so. I think you're making a, a great point there, Kevin. I think that pushing it to the limits is basically what Formula One is about in, in, in basically every aspect of the sport. But when you're looking at these pit stops going in two seconds and you look at it sometimes as like, oh, my God, it took them three seconds. What's wrong with Haas or Renault or Mercedes, Ferrari? They had a three-second pit stop. These guys are terrible. You think about it. I mean, it used to be 13. It used to but, be 17 seconds. Remember back then, Damon Hill comes in. All right, put gas in and then put the tires. Okay, fine. The filling of the car fuel tank with gasoline is dangerous in a way. A lot more dangerous than what we've seen with the tires and safe release. We've all remember the that accident with Michael Schumacher in 1995 with Benetton. That was one of the worst gasoline explosion on a pit line uh, I've ever seen. Uh, but still, two seconds. I think you mentioned limits. Formula One is to find a limit. Well, we found the limit. It's about one ninety eighty three. Now we can stop and we could go back to just do it safely. Well, that's true. And, uh, you know, talking about the refueling, that's uh, that's a good point. I mean, that that incident with Benetton in 1995, I seem to remember that was not so much a failure in the fuel system, but I think it was that that they had actually modified the fueling rig to fuel faster. And then, of course, yep. when they, they, they pulled that fueling rig off of the car, of course, there was some fuel spilling out. It gets onto the exhaust manifold and boom, there you go. It's just going <laughs> to a very high octane, very volatile mix of fuel and additives and and all that so perhaps maybe that is the key if uh, you know they're aiming for two seconds and that is obviously pushing the limits of what we as people yeah. uh, as human beings are are physically capable of because when you think about it i mean raikkonen or whoever comes in the car stops it is at a full stop for two seconds and he's off so <laughs> i mean this is not like you or i pulling up to our local esso station <laughs> getting out fueling up the car <laughs> checking the tire pressures washing the windows and then adjusting the mirrors getting he's not even looking at anything he's just looking straight ahead looking for that green light and boom it's his job to go and uh, no it, it, it's insane and uh it's insane you know two seconds when you think about it not like if it all goes well, the majority of the time it will, it's fine. But it's you don't have a lot of space. You don't have a lot of uh, margin of error, right, in two seconds? Zero. Yeah. It, you have zero. So if one thing goes wrong, the whole thing goes wrong. It's the end of the race, right? That's what we've been seeing yep. right now. Boom, blah, blah. Oh, geez. Uh, well, 
All right, millions of dollars of investment going down the drain right now for Australia. And uh, that was for uh, for Haas, of course. And they were, ah, oh, that's still, my heart is broken for them. They would have two top tens. <laughs> oh, man, that's so insane. It's and, still crazy, but when you, you look at it then with the, with Raikkonen, I mean, there, there you have again. A podium. Last year, oh. a podium. I mean, I, I was uh, I was thinking though after the as the race was unfolding I I was I was going come on Kimmy you got to get in there you got to get in front of Valtteri but it just uh, he could, he just couldn't do it the, the the Mercedes was quicker on those medium compound tires he just couldn't get within a couple of seconds so you think maybe something might be able to shake out in the pit stops maybe they can position themselves to challenge later in the race or maybe they've just been out uh, out out or out stratified if you want to call it that yeah, mercedes has yeah. beat them the strategy game and uh, they're, they're gonna sneak the, the the podium the 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 top two steps away from them but uh it was it was quite fascinating i mean obviously that threw a big wrench into everything i mean let's just uh, put aside the unfortunate human cost in the the, the poor mechanic who was who was injured thankfully not too badly but then you, you hear the race uh, control, the, the Ferrari mechanic, uh, Vettel's engineer, say to him over the radio, Sebastian, plan, plan D. Yeah, plan <laughs> D at that point. True, D, the fourth plan. In all my years of being a Formula One, Kevin, and I don't know about you, but I don't ever recall anyone ever telling a driver it's on the plan D. <laughs> no, because usually it's always plan A. No, nothing usually goes wrong. But yeah. in this case, uh, Kimi Raikkonen's incident because of a guy with a broken leg. Well, guess what? We're not going to pitch you again. Uh, hold on your tires and hold on for dear lives, for your dear life. And, you know, one thing you mentioned, and I think it's, uh, we need to touch on it a bit more, is how, yes, Ferrari has won two races. Sebastian Vettel has won two races. But I can't shake the feeling, same feeling for the last three years, that Hamilton's got the best car, and on any given day, I think Hamilton still has more chance to victory than than Vettel on any given Sunday right now. Yep. If there's another third and a fourth and it's without nothing happening to Hamilton, maybe, but so far, I still can't shake that feeling. Yeah, Kevin, I, I totally agree with you. That's why I think if you look at the World Drivers' Championship at the moment, I think it is very... Uh, it, it's very misleading, and I think that Vettel will probably be the first fellow to admit that the, uh, the the motor racing gods have been kind to Ferrari over the past couple of races. And you got to think right now is that that Lewis is he's mad, he's motivated. You know that this is eating away at him inside, knowing that 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 he can go out there. I mean, all credit to him. I mean, he did start ninth after qualifying in fourth, which was not really the the best. I mean, Ferrari did have the better car in qualifying, obviously with the front row lockout. And uh, Lewis, I think, uh, well, I mean, he wanted to qualify as high as possible because he had that uh, that gearbox penalty, which dropped him a further five places back. But, I mean, a, a very good recovery drive nonetheless. I mean, to get a podium after all that, I mean, you talk about Ferrari getting some luck. I think Lewis got a little bit of luck there, inheriting that uh, that podium finish from Kimi Raikkonen. But he's he's now 17 points behind Sebastian Vettel in the in the championship. And I thought it was a bit of a stupid question by David Coulthard on the podium afterwards saying, well, Sebastian, after uh, looking at the stats, uh, a driver that's won uh, a race or the first two races of the, the year uh, going back to 1982 has gone to win the world championship. And I thought that was a bit of a silly question. I think uh, that Vettel answered it perfectly. He said, well, in 1982, they also <laughs> had less races, which I thought was a, a good answer. And in, then in 1982, we thought smoking was good for us. 
So well, yeah. that, <laughs> that's a lot of things changed since then. That's right. And then I think he said, uh, the, and I think he he went on to expand on it and say, sometimes the stats work for you and sometimes you wor- they work against you. Come on. I mean, we're two races into the season. We've got 19 more races to go before this thing is uh, is over and done with. And is it going to come down to the wire at uh, Abu Dhabi in November? Who knows? Maybe, hopefully, but uh, we'll have to uh, wait and see. And there's going to be a lot of racing between now and then. And, of course, not only are we going to be talking, obviously, a lot about Ferrari and a lot about Mercedes uh, this year, I'm hoping that we're going to talk a little bit more about a fellow by the name of Pierre Gasly and a team by the name of Toro Rosso. <laughs> a P4. Amazing. I don't think anybody saw that, but I can tell you that the, the happiest people in the paddock, besides obviously Gasly and uh, Toro Rosso, had to be the people at Honda who oh probably God, felt yeah. justifiably relieved after all the stuff that they've been through since returning to Formula One in 2015. Not just to get a, a points finish, but they were, well, they weren't very close to getting a podium, but. Let's say, I mean, say, well, say Phil and, and Botas tangle and take each other out in those last couple of <laughs> exactly. laps. He could have ended up on the podium. Amazing stuff. No, and even in qualifying, like his lap, Gasly's lap, is up there with one of the best laps you can do on that circuit. You give him a, a better car, you give him a Ferrari, it's, it's the pole. That's how amazing his lap was. He opened a lot of eyes this weekend, Gasly, and able to... On the track to gain the position, to keep it, and to not be in trouble for the entire race for a young driver, for a young team, and for Honda, for the engine to just hold on. <laughs> the engine didn't blow up, and they were in front of the two McLarens. No, it's just unexpected result, and it's not just Gasly. It's great work by Brendan Hartley as well. So it's the both cars were fast. It's not just a one-off, and... You yep. know what they said to you after qualifying? And I think that's impressive. And that's interesting in a way. I mentioned, like, we need to actually look at the at the data to understand why we're so fast. Because we don't know. We, we put an arrow, we put a new kit in, a new arrow kit in, and we're four times faster than we anticipated we're going to be. We don't know why yet. We need to understand why, but we'll take it. Well, it's it's great to see it. Uh, Toro Rosso boss Franz Tost says that after the result in Bahrain, he expects that they can be in the top 10 uh, from from here on out, and I think that would be great to see. And it, it, it's amazing to see how things have shifted around in Formula One this uh, this year. We we saw in uh, P7 and P8 the the last cars to be lapped were the uh, the two McLarens, and maybe I'm just a little bit too greedy. Maybe maybe my expectations are a little bit too high. But I was a little bit disappointed with the P7 and P8. But then when I think back to okay. Where were Stoffel Van Dorn and where was Fernando Alonso one year ago? And think, <laughs> think yeah. back just to even that short amount of time to, to think, well, I mean, Van Dorn, I don't think, even got in the car last year at Bahrain. I don't, and didn't Fernando, didn't he make it all the way to the end? <laughs> what of the, what of the did not start? I, I, I think it was Van Dorn did not start at that one. I don't know. But uh, yeah. I just remember yeah. them having grid penalties for like an entire season. Like 2017 <laughs> was an entire grid penalty for McLaren. McLaren Honda. Oh, yeah, I mean, you, you're, you're not kidding, Kevin. So, I mean, at least from that point of view, like I say, I mean, and every other McLaren fan out there will probably agree with me, but, you know, you, you got to be realistic and to see where they are now. And, I mean, Fernando, 
He's fourth in the world championship right now. That's if you look, bad. it's Sebastian, it's Lewis, it's Walter, it's Botas, and in uh, fourth Lando. position, Fernando Alonso, just a couple of points ahead of Kimi Raikkonen. So I think that if, uh, well, I mean, I know that uh, that uh, that Alonso's been saying, oh, we can do better, you know, there, there's still more to come, and, and things like that, which you would expect. Yeah, they, they can do that, better, but uh, up to a point, because uh, let's yeah. be fair here. There's two Ferrari cars, there's two Mercedes cars, and there's two Red Bulls cars. Red Bulls have not been reliable and not been that pretty consistent so far. So just five is like best case scenario on most races. And that's if you beat the Red Bulls. So seven in most races is best case scenario. So no, you, you can't really expect more than seven, nine, between seven to 12. Closer to seven is successful. Closer to 12, it's a hard weekend. But that's where McLaren, and not just McLaren, that's where most of the teams strive for results it's there that's where you can prove to your sponsors look we're this type of team where we're force india level we're renault we're toro rosso level renault should be higher with the amount of money they're spending and so is mclaren so that's why those two teams is disappointing when you see them fighting for seven to nine is because they spend 300 millions on their season but when you see a force india and a toro rosso being able to do position between seven to ten seven to eleven that's a level of success that's almost impossible to beat unless one of the top three teams have trouble in that weekend yeah and talking about having trouble in the weekend is the theme this year that <laughs> yeah. if cars are tires they have to go out in twos we saw it and on the same lap nonetheless within the same, a, at least within a lap or two in we the had same that image the in the screen again i had the image in the screen left and here watching and then the, even the commentators are like okay so first time it okay first so ricardo's out now oh, Okay, so they're both out? Ah! And I had the image to my <laughs> left and the, the, the commercial again. I was like, yeah, what's with the Red Bulls? Well, yeah, very, very disappointing. I mean, uh, well, Max obviously had problems in qualifying. He spun it. And uh, it, it was interesting, too. He said afterwards he had uh, ex experienced uh, a power surge of something in the neighborhood of 150 uh, horsepower. Because if you look at that sequence when he goes through the corner there, he comes out and he gets wide on the exit of that one corner. He gets up onto the curb and then he loses the back end and swings out. So that once uh, once you lose the rear end like that, it's like a pendulum. You just keep on swinging. But disappointing. I mean, uh, you know, last year was a terrible year for Max Verstappen. How many uh, races did he not finish through his own fault or not? And so far this year seems to be uh, more of the same. I mean, he didn't have the greatest of races in Australia. Obviously, he... He had uh, some issues there as well. And then uh, Ricardo, I thought, well, I mean, he did fight towards the end of um, the, the, the race in Australia. He wasn't able to really challenge Kimi Raikkonen for that, uh, the, I think it was uh, the P3. So, I mean, uh, that was okay for him. I mean, Ricardo, obviously his future is up in question, not, not under contract at Red Bull for 2019. So where he might go, will he return? Will he go somewhere else? Will Verstappen and, uh, be the number one guy there? A the lot rumors to have seen, started today, too. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, today it was uh, it leaked that the talks have broken down. Talks have been stopped between Ricardo and Red Bull. So there's that. Mm, that's uh, very interesting. I mean, he's obviously uh, you know, a good enough driver to be in Formula One. And if he was uh, not to stay there, what could be some possible landing spots for him? I mean, obviously he would... Uh, be looking to uh, stay with a team similar or better to Red Bull. So 
that kind of narrows things down. I mean, Raikkonen only has a one-year contract at Ferrari. Botas, obviously, uh, he remains to be seen whether he'll be reconfirmed to go back uh, to Mercedes in 2019. So lots and lots of questions there. I mean, Raikkonen, I mean, he still seems to be going, but... And, and <laughs> I think we've been basically been talking about Raikkonen having to deliver the goods for Ferrari. I think basically since we started this podcast a couple of years <laughs> ago, Kevin. Well, but he's so, not there for that, though. And he's delivering, in my opinion. He's there to be the buffer between Vettel and the rest. Sometimes it works, sometimes it yep. doesn't. Sometimes there's things like this. But uh, remember last year when he got the, the pole at the right time and when he got the win or or the good position at the right time? That's what he's there for. And yes, last year it was was different, but you don't compare Raikkonen to Vettel. No. You compare Raikkonen to Bottas. And I'll take Raikkonen over Bottas any day of the week, especially on a Sunday. Yeah. Well, I, I think that Kimi has like that, that little bit of grit to him. I think he's a, a little bit more aggressive when he needs to be. I think uh, that, uh, that l- like I was saying a little bit earlier, I was disappointed that that Botas really didn't try and force the issue and get uh, around uh, Vettel to, for the victory. Because we saw earlier in the race when the, the, the tires were fresher and when the cars had the speed, I mean, how easy was it for Vettel to get around uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, at the pit stops here? Obviously, Hamilton wasn't forcing the issue. He knew that Vettel was faster. He knew that uh, you know he, they were playing a different strategy, so why not not hold him up or, or or fight for him for position because that's not the guy that uh, you're really fighting for uh, track position at that point in the race. They were obviously looking further down towards the the end of the race there. But I, I really think that uh, that that uh, that Botas could have done a lot more there. I think that uh, that uh, Mercedes really uh, let one slip through their fingers. And I think maybe that if you're a uh, you know <laughs> Total Wolf or Nicky Lauda. Maybe you're just making a note of that in a ledger somewhere that uh, come time to discuss your driver lineup for, for 2019. Uh, you know, is is that obviously uh, an issue? I mean, that's obviously going to go into the cons column for, uh, for, for Valtteri Bottas. So he's got to do more. I mean, obviously, just sort of being there and just to, to, to finish and race for second is, uh, is not good enough for Mercedes. And no, exactly. And now Rich, with having uh, maybe Danny Ricciardo available next year, both McLaren, uh, both Mercedes and Ferrari, maybe having one seat open. Yeah, a lot of possibilities out there, and the fact that maybe if you're Lewis or Sebastian Vettel, you might not want Danny as your your teammate because he's he's pretty good. So <laughs> there's there's that aspect to it. Absolutely. Well, Kevin, I think that uh, there were also a couple of uh, other interesting results in uh, in Bahrain that maybe flew under the, the the radar to a certain extent. Nico Hulkenberg finished sixth for the Renault. Oh wow! Uh, so oh. that's uh, not bad at all. I mean, I, I think that each and every year they're getting a little bit better. I mean, they're sort of, I'd say, towards the front of the best of the rest of the at the moment. Obviously, stuck in between there and and uh, number or, sorry in P five was Kevin Magnussen in the Haas. I think that one flew under the radar a little bit. Obviously, everybody oh. was gushing about the uh, the result that Gasly got in the P4. And then uh, a guy that's maybe, uh, I, I can say certainly I've given a, a fair amount of uh, disrespect over the years, Marcus Erickson. I've, I've always labeled him as a pay driver and a guy that <laughs> is only in Formula One because uh, he brings a lot of sponsorship. I mean, he managed a P9 in the Sauber. And you look at his teammate, Charles Leclerc, he only finished in P12. So... That is a is a decent one, and you look at uh, how he's managed to kind of like hang on at Sauber over the years. So maybe the there's more Ericsson than his wallet. It's the Alfa Romeo engine, though. Uh, first of all, 
I think it's because that car looks so good that it's the design gods that are like, okay, you look so good, you cannot be in the end of the, the, the Peloton. You have to be at these mid tables. Whites in that sort of metallic maroony color that they Red, have. Alfa oh, Romeo. It looks, great. It looks great, right? And uh, maybe the Ferrari partnership. Like we mentioned, this is still not talked about as much as I would like. The Ferrari, the, the Ferrari partnership with Sauber is a lot bigger than it was just a few months ago. Alfa Romeo branding. Guess who's the owner of the Alfa Romeo brand? It's Ferrari. Alfa Romeo is Ferrari. So don't get me wrong. It's not a Ferrari branded car. But it's closer to what Toro Rosso is to Red Bull than what Sauber was to Ferrari last year. I think this year Alfa Romeo is basically almost Ferrari's Toro Rosso. And, well, that, that, that's what you would expect, too. I mean, the, remember last year they had the 2016 spec Ferrari engine in the back of the Sauber? Yeah, and, I mean, was it was terrible. just uncompetitive. It was terrible. Terrible. It was just not designed for the new cars and the and the new regulations that came into effect for last season. And, I mean, it was obvious right from the, the very get-go that it was just going to be a painfully slow season for Sauber. So, I mean, a very, very good result for them. And if you look at the Constructors' Championship at the moment... Obviously, at the top, you expect to see Ferrari. You accept, uh, expect to see Mercedes. McLaren, obviously, a pleasant surprise in third place with 22 points at the moment. Red Bull, obviously, <laughs> they've had issues that, that is not indicative of what their, their true potential is. But right down at the bottom in ninth and tenth, between the two of them, the two Mercedes customer teams in Force India and Williams Mercedes, and they only have one point between four drivers, and that was uh, thanks to Esteban Ocon, who finished P10 at Bahrain this past weekend. And Mercedes, uh, I mean, Mercedes, I was going to say Williams Mercedes, more correctly. Talk about how the mighty have fallen. A once powerhouse in Formula One seems to be getting further and further back on the grid each and every year. Not, I, I mean, to say that they're not even competitive is uh, a bit of an understatement. Yeah. I mean, Sir Sorokin said after the race that they look like idiots out there. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, uh, well, we have to call a spade a spade. And uh, I don't want to call out Claire Williams per se, because that's not what I want to do. She just had a baby. It's just, like, not fair. But uh, in the words of Martin Brundle on the broadcast of Sky Sports, and I think it reflects what a lot of people are seeing, is this team lacks direction. It lacks unity and direction. It's a mishmash. What's the leadership like? Who's driving this car? Not on the on the track. Who knows who's driving on the track? Who's driving the progression of this car? Who's driving the development, the evolution? Uh, Rob Smedley just had a, a new contract and maybe a more definition of role, but it might be too little too late. This team is missing Frank Williams. Not because of... Just because... You knew that when Frank Williams was there, that's where the buck stopped. Now, who, who, where does it really stop? And who's really in charge? And who really does take the decision? And is it truly a team that's the right resources at the right place? And maybe trying to save on drivers is not the best idea after all. And maybe you just yeah. put the guy that you don't want to put there. Just just give Kubiksa the driver already. Uh, accept the loss with Sorotkin, to just give him his money back and have another $15 million losses. Who cares at this point? <laughs> You're the <laughs> laughing stock of the whole Formula One. 
Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, Sorotkin said that they look like idiots. And I think that uh, when you label them as a laughing stock, I mean, sadly, that's what they are at the moment. And if you look at uh, a year ago, I think a lot of uh, people that are fans of the team were were really excited that uh, Patty Lowe had left Mercedes. And obviously he was instrumental to the success that they've had over the past couple of years. But, I mean, the team's gone backwards in that time. I mean, uh uh, I, I mean, <laughs> he, he, obviously, what with them winning the the constructors and the world champion world drivers championship again at Mercedes last year, that they didn't miss him too much. This year, they've designed another very good car, and uh, we'll see. I think it's true potential over the next couple of races here. I don't obviously they're not done by any stretch of the means, but I mean Mercedes and 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 Williams. You would think that that would be a good combination. Uh, uh, a very, very good engine in the back of a, a car that is, uh, you know, comes from a team that has decades worth of experience in Formula One. You don't expect to see Williams at the back. And I mean, it wasn't really all that long ago either when uh, only the last couple of years when uh, Felipe Massa and Williams were basically the best of the rest. So they've fallen yep. a very, very long way down. Bottas was there. So it's reach. not that long ago. Bottas had a chance to. His, yep. Is he happy, do you think? He was there in the last two seasons where Williams were Williams. And then last year's like, phew, I dodged a bullet right there. <laughs> I like, got called up to Mercedes just the right time. Thank you, Nico Rosberg. I think Valtteri Bottas forever needs to send a box of cookies to Nico Rosberg on Nico's birthday. Say, you know what, Nico? <laughs> Thank you for retiring. You got me the hell out of Williams and I am forever grateful. Well, that, that just sort of lends a little bit more uh, ammunition to, uh, to, to, to my theory that uh, Valtteri needs to get, uh, get a move on because if he doesn't get the job done at uh, Mercedes this year, he could very well find his way back uh, to Williams next year. So talking about uh, Nico Rosberg, uh, wh- why don't we move on to other topics now uh, after the, uh, the, the Bahrain Grand Prix, Grand Prix here. And Nico Rosberg, the 2016 Formula World Champion, is going to debut and demonstrate the new second-generation Formula E car later this spring when they have the uh, the, the uh, Formula E E-Prix at, uh, uh, in Berlin. And uh, Rosberg, he's putting his money where his mouth is. A couple of years ago, he said he would not really be interested in driving in Formula E, but... Well, okay, he's going to be driving, maybe not as a competitive driver, just as a, a as a demo, but he's actually going to invest in the formula itself. I think this is a, an amazing development, and I think uh, uh, Rosberg uh, said it best that uh, he sees it as a formula, a, a type of racing that has uh, a, a very, very big future in front of it. And I think it is uh, just a, another indication just with some of the names and some of the manufacturers that uh, get involved in Formula E each and every year. So it's going to be interesting. It, uh, it's going to be fun to watch this year. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what these uh, new second-generation cars yeah. can do. Yeah, I, I still I'm, I'm not sold with Formula E. I, I was more until I attended the race, until I see what it is. And First of all, the way this this uh, championship is uh, is led with Mr. Adag is a bit weird, and, and it is remi- reminiscent a bit of Bernie Ecclestone. But but that's just one thing. <laughs> well, what what actually was really troubling for me is still gimmicky. Like you change car half the race. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. But the next generation will be different. The next generation car the battery will be able to last the whole damn race and it will make for a more intuitive following of the race where 
you don't see the guy jump out of a car one to the other. You know, it breaks a bit of the fourth wall. It breaks of the... I don't know. It kind of changed a bit. And we're so used to seeing normal racing that seeing, oh, this guy's got to boost more for 10 seconds, but he's... We're not used to it. We're like, okay, this guy's got more fuel. He's faster. Or no, more, more fuel. He's slower. Less fuel. He's faster. His star and newer is so the He goes faster. So we're used to that. We're not used to, okay, managing power, energy. So we're going to get used to it slowly. And eventually, Formula E and Formula 1 will be the same damn thing. Because, well, eventually there won't be any more gasoline on this planet anyways. So we're not going to have a chance when putting our cars with batteries. Exactly. I think that'll be interesting to see how these two series sort of develop and uh, kind of race in parallel to one another. But uh, Formula E is not the only series that have uh, laid out some uh, some groundwork uh, for the future. Before the Bahrain uh, Grand Prix, Liberty Media laid down their proposal for the 2021 season when basically everything up until then ends <laughs> the, the the current concord agreement the power units basically everything will is set in stone for a couple of years so 2021 is that basically line in the sand where everything will be brand new or not so the areas that they're looking at and there's several of them there's the the power units costs revenues sporting and technical rules and then governance so the power units obviously continues to be a, a big source of discussion among the fans. I think that obviously the the big discussion and the the controversy when the the new hybrid turbo engines were introduced a couple of years ago and they were just so darn quiet compared to the the glorious V8s, V10s, V12s, and all the the different variations thereof that made Formula One what it was over the the previous decades, but. What they're suggesting or what they're proposing is that they want cheaper, simpler, louder and have more power and reduce the necessity of grid penalties. So that's one thing that they're looking at. They want the engine technology to remain road relevant, which I suppose is fair enough, although I don't know how much of relevancy there is between a V6 hybrid turbo Formula One engine and, say, somebody's Toyota Prius. But I suppose in, uh, in, in in the broad strokes, in theory, there is. Uh, the costs, um, Liberty, they want uh, the, it's not so much how much money that, they, uh, that the, the Formula One teams are spending, but it's more how they're spending it. So I think they want uh, the, the teams to be more focused on their, their, their spending. And uh, they say that while that they, they want some standardized elements and parts in the car, that the differentiation between a Mercedes and a Ferrari or perhaps even between a Ferrari and a Haas because that's obviously been a bit of a contentious issue in the paddock over the past couple of weeks that perhaps there's more Ferrari in that Haas than there is Haas, but that's a different debate for a different day. Revenue, of course, a big thorny issue. <laughs> of course, uh, there, uh, Formula One is uh, all about money. So they're talking about creating or maybe uh, distributing the, the the wealth among the teams uh, fairer, and that uh, that the, the prizes uh, will be, uh, I, I guess, more fairly distributed among the teams. So your team. So Ferrari's not going to get a check of 150 million euros before the beginning of the season. Yes. Well, they do say <laughs> that their historical franchises is still a very important part of Formula One and is still 
recognized. But yeah, they're not just going to get that big check at the end of the year or the beginning of the year because they're they're Ferrari. They're going to get still recognized for that and still probably get a big check. It just uh, might be uh, a little bit uh, smaller than in the uh, than in the past. And then of course uh, the on the sporting the technical rules side, of course that uh, the, the big problem for years and years now has been uh, overtaking. And uh, Ross Braun was talking about that just a couple of weeks ago. That you have this force field basically about the, the around the cars. Like we were even talking about earlier in the show, that you get within a second and a half and two seconds, and it's just uh, difficult for the cars to get even uh, you know closer than that. And then finally, the the governance part of it. They're they're suggesting a simple and streamlined structure between the teams, the FIA, FIA and Formula One. So. Total Wolf, at least he said in the beginning that it is uh, that it's a good uh, basis, if you will, a good starting point for discussion. But you know how political Formula One is, so we'll wait and see where it goes. And I think that it's always going to be about the uh, the spending and uh, the revenue and how that uh, the money is going to be uh, distributed among the teams. So, to you, Kevin, what are some of the points that have stood out from this proposal from Liberty? Well. It's- it's the same that it's always been. You got the big teams that are already ahead that don't want their advantage to be nullified by the rules changing too much. So that explains the position of Ferrari and Mercedes on those. You got the mid-tier teams that are like, all right, well, if we have those rules, our money will have a bit more weight, so we should be able to bridge the advantage that the top two team have. So McLaren should be happy. Red Bull, we'll see. Depends if they can find an engine partner that is worth it for them and because Renault is, might stop selling engine altogether and just keep it for themselves we know this happening in the next few years so uh, once that happens you have Red Bull maybe thinking okay we got a lot of money and maybe we, our, our dollar will go a little further so it's good but again it's the disparity is going to be there from the top team to the bottom team there's not a cap there's not something to cut spending to a point that actually makes a dent in the performance of cars and that's the case we, you remember the president of force india last year saying look if you really want to make a difference and want to make a, a dent in how this sport is is perceived and is played on the track and actually make a dent in the performance of the cars cap the spending to everybody at 150 million so it doesn't matter if you're ferrari mercedes or toro rosso or or Force India. Everyone's got $150 million to deal with the development of the car. Deal with it. And then we see the best cars on the track. Maybe that's more the way to go than capping it to a level that you still, if you're Ferrari, you can still spend three, three fifty dollars on your car and you're still going to get that advantage. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like if, say, they did uh, cap it at, say, like you say, $150 million a year for, the, uh, for, for a, a spending budget. Would a team with the the resources and the experience and the knowledge of, say, a Mercedes or Ferrari, would they be better at it, or would it favor more some of the, the the other teams that maybe don't have the resources, but maybe come up with some interesting solutions just through ingenuity? But I suppose maybe that argument is already in place that it doesn't really matter how much Ferrari and Mercedes are spending; that the other teams already have to be more ingenious and try and find those uh to the ways to be competitive and uh, and and find speed in different ways and improve the handling of uh, their 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 cars just because they don't have the unlimited funds of uh one of the big two perhaps three teams if you want to throw red bull in there as well yeah no exactly so we'll see what happens of it but uh 
I still feel like the decision won't be drastic enough to actually implement a change that does reshuffle the landscape of Formula One on the track in 2021. Just because you mentioned a lot of lobbying will be taking place. Toto Wolf has already started lobbying uh, in public by saying, oh yeah, it's a start where we can negotiate. Really? Your boss saying this is the guideline he wants. And your first reaction is, it's a start, we can negotiate. Which means, I'm going to try to battle hard for the point that I want and try to have them included in those rules. So we'll see how my leverage goes versus your leverage. So it's already politics and it's already lobbying. So we'll see what comes of it. <laughs> but I have a feeling we're still going to have Ferrari Mercedes having kind of like what they want just because no one wants to change everything all at once and that's what happens and look Ferrari and Mercedes are the United States and Russia of Formula 1 what I'm saying is both got a sphere of influence in other teams so you got you got the alright this is the Cold War okay it's 1985 and it's the Cold War Formula 1 is the, the is the place you got the one side we'll say the communists because they're red Ferrari and you got Mercedes on the other side I could have gone either way. It doesn't matter. Just the fact that it's two factions and both factions have other people underneath that use their product, i.e. engine or other parts that will fall along, follow the direction of the main faction. So uh, that's what it is. You got Mercedes, you got Ferrari. You both got them with, with a following of teams that are are partners in a way. And then there's just like two, three teams left that are going to have like nothing to say anyways because it's one vote. So that's <laughs> what's going to be. Sorry if I am bursting people's as bubbles right now, but uh, I've lost my innocence a long time ago. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. And, you know, honestly, Kevin, when you look at that, I mean, you, you can take all those different areas that they're looking at and you know, split it into two areas. Those are the... Uh, the proposals that are strictly to do with the, the the benefit of the teams and then the proposals that are the benefits for the fans, right? I don't really care how much that the, that the teams are spending as long as it's sustainable and the teams that are in Formula One can afford to be in Formula One. So th that's fine. I mean, the things that I find interesting is I don't really care how streamlined the the interaction between the FIA and Formula One and the teams is as long as it works right for me what what's interesting is make those cars the the, the regulations so the cars can be fast so the cars can, can overtake each other so can overtake each other exactly no that field. the Formula One cars sound like Formula One cars and so that we don't have races like we had in Australia a couple of uh, weeks ago where <laughs> yeah. we're looking at say hey wow you know for for all the Sebastian Vettel fans is hey Seb won but he overtook Hamilton under a virtual safety car because of some <laughs> because of soft a loophole software yeah, error. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, I think Here's by the time all shaped up that who knows what it'll look like. But take that, a NASCAR body. You take a NASCAR body. You put a Formula One engine in there. So never mind the halo. You don't need it anymore. And guess what? You can overtake now. There you go. Yeah. Done. We, we fixed it. Boom. More powerful engines, engines that sound more Formula One-like, and then I think everybody will be uh, happy. And for me, and probably for you and everybody listening, as long as there's decent coverage that uh, you're able to get it uh, on your smartphone, on your tablet, on your laptop, on your television, just uh, more, uh, more, more visibility. You know, make, make become more popular in the in the sporting landscape. So that would be another thing. And then Kevin, I, one, finally, one last news before so, we uh, we say goodbye, Mark. Uh, 
Uh, it's kind of gone under radar, but Zach Brown has been named now the general manager of C uh, of McLaren. He's the big boss now. He's the head honcho. It's not just a spokesperson and not just acting. He is. And uh, I don't know what's going to come of it. Zach Brown is one of the big responsible for McLaren's decision to, well, with Honda and everyone. But he's the one who really pushed hard. And he's the one yep. who really pushed hard with Fernando and getting Fernando to resign with McLaren and all that. So uh, Zach Brown now uh, the main man with McLaren. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I I saw that too, and like you say, it, it kind of flew underneath the, the the radar a little bit. And I think it's kind of uh, interesting, just like how the the, the transition from the Ron Dennis era to the uh, the, the Zach Brown era at McLaren went kind of like quietly. <laughs> what would you think about it? I mean, Dennis was ousted basically in a boardroom uh, maneuver about a year ago, and Zach Brown came on, and and Dennis quite basically went away very quietly and. I mean, uh, Zach Brown obviously has the resume and uh, the, uh, the 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 bona fides of a very successful businessman, and he's got his work cut out at uh, McLaren. But as we uh, talked about earlier in the show, at least so far this year, the, the the results have been promising, and who knows, maybe he's the guy to to take McLaren back to where they once used to be, or not. We'll wait and see. But exactly. that's part of the the fun of Formula One, and also Kevin. One of the fun parts of Formula One is predictions, and it's the Chinese Grand Prix this weekend. Lewis Hamilton has won four, three out of the four uh, past years. And uh, what do you think? I mean, it's been a track that's been very good for him. Mercedes has won every single Grand Prix there since 2014. I think uh, based on uh, what we've seen and the, the over the past couple of races, and we know that Ferrari isn't quite as strong as they want to be, even though they've had the results go their way. You got to think that this is finally going to be Mercedes' weekend. You would think, you would think, but there's an expression in French, Mark, that says "jamais deux sans trois," never two without three. And <laughs> I think it's going to be a fluke. Vettel's going to win, even though we're going to feel that uh, McLaren is still the best car. Something's going to happen once again. And I think Vettel's going to win. And then we're really going to start to say the question, ooh, is that lead too much? And we'll be like, yeah, there's a <laughs> Grand Prix left. The no lead is too much. But I do have a feeling Vettel will pull it off with another maybe two spots on the podium for the Mercs. So maybe the same damn thing that we've seen, but maybe Hamilton second this time. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree to disagree. I'm going to uh, say that it's going to be uh, two Mercedes and a Ferrari on the podium. But I'm going to say it's going to be uh, Lewis Hamilton on the top step, Sebastian Vettel in P2, and Valtteri Bottas rounding out the podium so, in P3. So, so Verstappen's going to win because we predicted Ferrari <laughs> and Mercedes. So Verstappen's well, going to win with two McLarens on the podium. <laughs> If they get some rain there this weekend or they have a damn track, I mean, remember at the start of the race last year, Verstappen was, uh, he was towards the back of the grid. He overtook something, what was it, like 13 cars on that opening lap? I mean, it was amazing. Ended up, uh, did he not? I think he, yes, he did. He was ended up P3, ended up on the podium last year, quite a ways back. I mean, uh, Vettel was only uh, about six and a half seconds behind uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, last year, but yeah, I mean we've we've seen that this is a track that the Red Bulls could do on or have done well on in the past, and uh, maybe this is the weekend that they uh, finally get uh, a good result for themselves. So, by the time you guys listen to this uh, podcast this week, it'll be pretty close to uh, free practice time at the Shanghai International Circuit, and the Grand Prix itself is just a mere couple of days away, and uh, can't wait. Look forward to watching it, and look forward to uh, talking about it with you all next this time next week.
Absolutely. And as always, you can follow Mark on social media at Mark Junior Daily, right? That's right. Actually, it's not Junior. It's my my, my middle name, John uh, Russell. But okay. All right. But just, it was easier <laughs> to say audio-wise. Okay. So at Mark, M-A-R-K-J-R Daily. And you can follow me on Twitter at Kevlar. Made the show at Scuderia F1 Pod. You like the video version? Make sure you follow and subscribe if you're brand new to our YouTube page. Click on the subscribe button and click on the bell to the right to make sure you're notified whenever we put a brand new video on our YouTube page located at youtube.com slash sports podcasting network. And as well, our Patreon. You like what the network does? You like what we do? You can go to patreon.com slash sports podcast network. Your donations and support goes a long way. Over 42 patrons for a few hundred dollars a month so far uh, would helps the network pay for its costs and continue. But with our growth, we do need your support. And you can do this right there. Patreon.com slash sports podcasting network. And Mark, until next week when we review the Chinese Grand Prix, I wish you a great Formula One. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?